G'day Footyology listeners, Roko here. Enjoy our podcast? Well, you can become an official Footyology podcast supporter simply by using the supporter feature through ACAST. There's no subscription or regular commitment, just the sheer satisfaction that comes with knowing you've kept the debt collectors from our door. No, just kidding. It does help though. If you want to get started, you just need to follow the support this show link in the show description. Thanks again. And now let's get on with it. Welcome to the Footyology Podcast with Rowan Connolly and Mark Fine. Good everyone. Welcome to the Footyology Podcast. This is the round four review edition. Uh, another round full of incident controversy, some um, interesting storylines, some big statements made, um, some queries answered very authoritatively by uh, the sides concerned. A lot to talk about. As I say, very good evening to my co-host, Mark Fine. What would you make of it all, Finey? Okay, a week's a long time in football and it proved to be so this weekend. I guess what we find is every weekend there's going to be one team feeling the hurt and this weekend it's Collingwood. So I'm sure we'll have a look at that. But for Collingwood supporters, take it from me, you're only a week away from redemption. Well, it's true, and it really is. Uh, I'm going to allude to this later in the rant, but it is hard to get a handle on uh, what's going on. Sides are up and down, and uh, we write someone off and they bounce back and vice versa. So just the way we like it, I'll adventure. I'll tell you what else is just the way we like it. It is a succulent meat patty filled with beautiful vegetable matter and between two of the most delicately manufactured bread buns you could hope to come across. What am I gabbling on about, Fonny? I was going to say, you are such a magnificent wordsmith when it comes to talking about football, matters of social importance, politics. I'm not 100% sure whether your future lies in food reviewing, but we all know what you're alluding to, and that is a magnificent Andrews hamburger from 144 Bridport Street, Albert Park. I guess it's the consistency, the guarantee of a great burger every time. And didn't we just have a, a recent fan of footyology make his way to Melbourne from Father Afield, try out one of our Andrews hamburgers and agree she's the best, just the best, the best he's had. That's high praise indeed. I think that was, uh, might have been Steve from Taralgon. Apologies, Steve, if it wasn't you, but. Uh... He was very keen to get a picture up there on Twitter. I retweeted it uh, with a bit of alliteration, and that tweet got liked by half the universe. They're all onto Andrews. It is a Melbourne institution. Get there if you haven't been. 144 Bridport Street, Albert Park. And while you're having a look around Albert Park, check out some of the beautiful homes in that area. In fact, anywhere around uh, inner Melbourne or the southeast suburbs of Melbourne, and there's one firm in particular that you will know is right across any decent-looking house you see, Fanny. And who might that be? West Point Properties. You know, and I'm sure there's a lot of people that can relate to this, and that is making little big because there are a number of valuable properties, valuable houses in Melbourne, inner Melbourne, on pretty small blocks of land. And I think that's where West Point Properties and Nick Spartels excels. In fact, I know it is. It's making the most of a small footprint, whether it's a two-storey build, latest in technology when it comes to heating, 
to beautiful kitchens and wonderfully appointed bathrooms and laundries. You get the very best with West Point Properties and our great mate Nick Spartels who'll be reveling in Carlton going two and two. Well, if you want the very best of stats, and there were some interesting stats out of this round too, check out statsinsider.com.au. The boys are right across the AFL scene, but not only AFL, they work in a range of about 15 different sports across the globe, bring you the best in sports data analysis. They sample an event 10,000 times to make sure you get the full range of probabilities out of that. They are consistently on the money. And the best part is it's all free to use. You don't even have to subscribe. So jump on statsinsider.com.au, check it all out. And they are very uh, proud partners of the Footyology brand. All right, we've got a lot of games to talk about and we're going to do it right now. On Footyology... Wrap around. Round four kicked off on Thursday evening at the SCG. And uh, boy, these two sides have turned in some close tussles, usually with one result. And it happened again, a bit like deja vu for Essendon fans particularly. I'm talking about Sydney's three-point win over the Bombers on Thursday evening. A little bit inaccurate, the Swans. I guess you could argue they might have won by a bit more. Final scores, 11-17-83. Defeating a game, isn't it? 12 goals, 8-80. The goal kickers, Buddy Franklin, 3 in his return to senior football. And, of course, bobbing up with what proved to be the match winner. Two goals to Reed, two to McInerney, singles to Parker, Florent, Mills and Papley. For Essendon, three goals to Jake Stringer, three goals to Kale Hooker. That tandem proving uh, prolific two weeks in a row now. Two goals to Alec Waterman, who came into the side and acquitted himself well. And singles to Cox, Smith, Parrish and Jones. Well, it was neck and neck all night, finally. The Bombers got a a decent break on the Swans early in that second quarter. But Sydney came charging right back. They look set to take control. But the Bombers wouldn't be denied. They kept hanging in there and might have even pinched a win at the end. It was not to be... But I think plenty to be pleased about for Bomber fans and plenty to be pleased about for Sydney fans too. They won a different sort of game. It wasn't the free-flowing, high-scoring Swans. It was a bit of the old-style Sydney presenting itself. And the end result for them is they remain undefeated, one of three undefeated sides in the AFL. How did you see this one, Finey? I think this was proof to me that pre-season prognostications and even what you would consider sort of uh, the general intel at the moment. And that is that Essendon are are better than maybe people thought or, but not really going to be challenging for a flag. And of course, Sydney, very impressive starters. They put on a game to me that was the equal of in, in terms of intensity and desperation and quality. Look, that game matched the game that we're going to talk about next. And of course that is the heavyweight clash between Richmond and Port Adelaide. So what I'm saying is we've got this fantastic season where there are teams all the way down the ladder that with their heads screwed on, and at the moment the Bombers and the Swans have their heads screwed on, are mighty difficult to beat. Why this game went the way of the Swans? I think in the end, way to possession. And also, look, you know, Buddy Franklin has been a tease really for the last two seasons. 
that that was a great mark he took in the dying stages to kick that all-deciding goal. Really, the game could have gone either way. I was so impressed by Essendon's work around the ball. Remember, they don't have Dylan Shield. Dyson Heppel has moved from the midfield. So, in a way, it's a different midfield. McGrath is now part of the top echelon of AFL midfielders. And Darcy Parrish quickly puts his name to be such as well. It, I know we've spoken about this, Rowan. Isn't it amazing that under the previous coach, he wasn't considered a midfielder? Yeah, that's a, that's a battle that's been going on for a while. He's, he is having a really good season. Interesting you mentioned McGrath because I, I thought he was relatively subdued in this game and that proved critical. No doubt in my mind, um, the decisive area of the game was the ruck. Uh, the centre bounces particularly, the clearances were won decisively by the Swans, 47-24. The centre clearances, 17-8. Now, Tom Hickey, having a wonderful season, debut season for the Swans. He was instrumental in that, but so were some of the old hands. And Luke Parker was just outstanding for the Swans in that regard. In the end, Essendon's inability to win enough of those stoppages, I think, really hurt them. Speaking about hurt, uh, Isaac Heaney for the Swans has come out of this game with uh, what we think is potentially a broken hand and could put him out for about a month, which would be a big loss for them. Interesting how he acquired that injury. A bit of a push and shove with uh, the Bombers' Brandon Zerk Thatcher and uh, some speculation about whether he should have faced some repercussions out of that. Well, the AFL ticked off on that one. Um, uh, did you see that footage, finally, that behind yeah. the play? Yeah. What did yeah. you make of it? Oh, it was certainly... Uh, a case of Isaac Heaney starting the contact. So he, if, if there was to be a case to be answered for, would have been the one getting in trouble. But, yeah, more a forceful sort of um, front push. I'll tell you this much. Maybe the MRO has left it to karmic justice. I wonder whether he would have had a look at it had Isaac Heaney not got injured. Then again, I don't think we ever would have seen it if Isaac Heaney didn't get injured. Yeah, well, the other the other interesting thing the AFL ticked off on was that uh, non-holding the ball, which wasn't paid against Tom Hickey when he grabbed the ball out of the ruck and took three or four steps and then got tackled. A lot of people thought that should have been holding the ball. I mean, as a potential uh, determining influence in the game, I'm dubious about that because the ball's still got to get down the other end of the ground. They've got to conjure a score and they had about 30 seconds to do it. Um, but interesting that that one was ticked off because whilst we know the rules have been changed and he can grab the ball from a ruck contest and try to play on and be tackled, would have thought four or five steps out of that contest constituted a prior opportunity. So any thoughts on that one? Yeah, I think he was very lucky because the rule says you've got... So it deems that taking the ball out of the ruck is no prior opportunity. But as you said, all right, you still have a responsibility then to get rid of the ball, to make an attempt to get rid of the ball. Dragging a player, as you rightly mentioned, four or five steps, there's your opportunity to get rid of it. You've now got to get rid of it legally. He then dropped the ball. Look, that, yeah, <laughs> I know it's uh, a long way home from there, but at least does not have the right to take the ball and mount what could have been a match-winning foray. Well, let's just hope that that does set a precedent then. And then, you know, if Ruckman are going to be encouraged to take the ball out of a contest, 
they get equal amount of latitude when they try to dispose of it. Having said all this, Finey, I want to say, and people know I'm an Essendon supporter, I think the right team won the game. I mean, 11-17, they had plenty of opportunities to put the game away. I think had Essendon won, they wouldn't have pinched it, but it, it would have been a more fortunate victory for Essendon than it was in the end for Sydney. Do you agree with that? Well, sometimes bad kicking is bad football. I think either team could make claim to winning the game. I thought Sydney were the team that were winning the game and Essendon were the team trying to steal the game in a way, but they would have been a fair result had they been able to do it through more accurate kicking. I do want to make one comment finally about that player that Essendon picked up from St Kilda. Look, when they lost Connor McKenna and Saad to Carlton McKenna going back to Ireland, there was certainly a void created with run out of the back line and they quite rightly went for a guy who was at St Kilda but not being played off the back line, the super speedy Nick Hine. Now, gee, he's played well for Essendon, takes the game on. He's on the, Don't you love when he runs and bounces? He pounds the ball into the ground he on does. the bounce. He does. But he it does. comes back to him. Sure, that might be the spectacular part of his game, but he also played on Tom Papley for much of the game and kept a handle on the most dangerous of dangerous score forwards in the comp. So thumbs up to Nick Hines, started Essendon VFL, back at Essendon AFL, and doing his tiny town of Clunes proud. Yeah, no, great pickup. And if you're going to mention that, I'll mention just quickly one of the most sublime pickups by a big man I've ever seen, Nick Cox, in that, uh, I think it was the first quarter, fantastic goal on the run after an incredible pickup. Boy, has that guy got some mobility for a man of... 200 centimetres. Anyway, good win to the Swans. They remain undefeated. Uh, next week, uh, interesting clash now. The, um, the uh, what is it? Battle of the Bridge? Or I don't know. They hate it when we say this. But Sydney up against GWS, a local derby, if you will. That one is on Saturday twilight. A really tough challenge for the Bombers. They've got to go up to the Gabba and take on the Lions on Saturday evening. All right, that was the first game of round four and Friday night brought an absolute classic between the preliminary finalists of last year, Port Adelaide and Richmond. Well, the 2020 preliminary final version of this matchup was an epic and uh, this one was also an epic. Fantastic Friday night game. Channel 7 would be absolutely wrapped with this, you'd reckon. Uh, different result this time, though. It was Port Adelaide defeating Richmond by two points. Richmond's second loss in a row. The final scores, 11-13-79, the power. Defeating the Tigers, 11-11-77. The goal kickers, two to Motlop, two to Rosie. Singles to Butters, Dersma, Fantasia, Houston, Harlot, Harlot, Hartlett, Georgiades, <laughs> <laughs> and Gray. He's a good guy, Hamish Hartlett. Uh, so apologies, Hamish. You are no Hartlett. Um, for the Tigers, three goals to Rewalt, two to Lambert, singles to Bolton, Short, Castagna, Lynch, Martin, Arts. Epic game, back and forth. Um, neither side ever getting much of a break. Put Adelaide looking for most of the night like they were the more likely winner. But the Tigers kicked those first two goals of the last quarter, finally. Who among us didn't think at that point Richmond are going to do it again? That's, that's exactly what I thought. I thought Richmond have almost lulled Port Adelaide into the same, not sense of security, but sense of game safeness that they did in the preliminary final, all to come to no avail. But 
you know what didn't happen this time and that was that we didn't have Dustin Martin wrap his hands around the throat of the game and take it for the Tigers. So good player management by Port Adelaide and also a really interesting battles, some battles around the ground. None more so, I thought, than in the ruck. Because remember, in that preliminary final, how important Nancurvis was towards the end of the game. Well, he looked like he was going to do it again, starting to mark meaningfully around the ground. But this time, Scott Lysette had a response. And I thought he was as effective as Nancurvis throughout the evening, as compared to the preliminary final, where Nancurvis clearly won the battle and in the end, help Richmond win the game. In fact, I, yep. I think I said first two goals of the last quarter. That's not exactly right, but it was three of the first four. Martin, of course, bobbed up with one to reduce Port's lead to under a kick. Georgiades responded, but then Jake Arts and Kane Lambert bobbed up with a couple of those classic grubby, dirty Richmond sort of scrubby goals <laughs> close to goal, and uh, that gave them the lead by two points. The cool, ice cool finish from Robbie Gray, though. Gee, and we did talk on Footyology Final Siren. Is he one of the best clutch goal kickers in modern football history? You'd have to say yes, because uh, no better, no man you'd more want with the ball in that sort of situation than Robbie Gray. And he iced it beautifully for them, didn't he? I'd love to have one of those heart meters on him because I doubt that the heart rate gets much above what the average is for Robbie Gray when he goes for these match-winning goals. Ice through the veins. He's sort of like a hired assassin that seems to bob up at the worst time for the opposition. And seemingly, the closer he is to the boundary, the more comfortable he is with putting the ball straight through the middle. And that, I mean that. I'd, I'd almost half want him dead in front because he just does not miss from the boundary. Look, you've got to hand it to both of these teams. And may I say, whichever way this game went, I don't think either of them lose much in people's estimation of their possibility of winning the grand final. I think they both remain live, heavyweight chances of the most realistic kind. But you've got to hand it to both of these sides for the amount of pressure they can put on from the beginning of the game. And I talked about Essendon and Sydney being really a high-pressure game of football, almost easier to do at the SCG. Because the bigger the ground, I think the harder it is to get the numbers to apply the pressure. But boy, could both of these teams apply the full court press. And to that end, you've got to admire a couple of players that maybe haven't had the reputation for being so hot in the clinches. I think Motlop was very good. Carl Amon's had a season, hasn't he? Yeah, he's been terrific. I think uh, Porter's got such great value out of their more seasoned players over the last season and a bit, haven't they? Travis Boak. His form is just outstanding. Ollie Wines was terrific for them, I thought. We've talked about how valuable a pickup Alira Alira has been just in giving that defence a bit more size. I think the two things that Ken Hinckley and Port will be most happy about with this win are, one, just getting over the line in a close one. They have had a bit of a nasty habit of losing those tight finishes. So that's one. And the Can second, I guess the second? Yeah. Yep. I reckon Dixon not having a big say in the game. That is exactly what I was going to say, Fanny. You're a brilliant mind and uh, you know my how my mind works scarily, scarily well. Um, absolutely. And, I, you know, I think uh, Georgiades, you know, certainly played his part in that regard. So the one thing I do think is maybe Port still has a little bit more scope for improvement, a little bit more improvement than Richmond 
can hope to eke out. But we've said that before. Look, we've you know we saw like last year Noah Bolter bob up and become a really important member of that Richmond side. You know, look, Jake Arts was a guy who probably should have played in the Premiership and didn't, unfortunately. So Richmond's got some scope there too. Absolutely no need for panic on their part, I would have thought, even though they are 2-2. Surely how they limped through some of last year and then ended up winning the flag again would teach us not to make that mistake again, even though you and I never made that mistake, Finey. We leave that to other West Season members of the football <laughs> media. All right, that is enough self-congratulation just for now. Uh, Thursday, Friday night done. Four games on the Saturday. Let's talk about them. First game on Saturday afternoon was on Mars. Yes, that hoary old joke again. Mars Ballarat, Mars Stadium Ballarat. It was the Western Bulldogs up against Brisbane. And uh, fair to say conditions played a pretty big part in this game because it was cold and it was bloody windy up there and the wind did have a significant impact on this result. In the end, a good win to the Bulldogs by 19 points. 10 goals, 13 73, defeating the Lions, 8-6-54. The goal kickers, three goals to the highly articulate and intelligent Tim English for the Doggies. Two to Aaron Norton, singles to Hunter, Bruce, McRae, Smith and Liberatore. For Brisbane, two goals to Eric Hipwood and singles to Andrews, Fullerton, Lions, Bailey, McLuggage and Danaher. And an absolute freak goal that he never, ever had any intention of even being a shot for goal, somehow dribbled through. Well, the Bulldogs held sway most of the afternoon, didn't they? Handy four goals plus lead at halftime and pretty much just held the Lions at bay in the second half. In fact, uh, Lions outscored them in the second half but couldn't quite get close enough to ever be a bit of a chance. The Breeze heavily favouring one end and fair to say the Doggies made much better use of it, Finey. It was a good win for them. They've won all their other games this year, mainly with free-flowing, pretty open sort of footy. It wasn't so much the case yesterday up at Ballarat, but uh, good to show that they can win in all types of conditions. The Lions, far from disgrace, though. Is that how you saw it? Absolutely. One thing, and I really like this about the Bulldogs, and I think they should possibly canvas for more games out of Ballarat at Mars because don't they play the old style of football of being three or four goals up and making that almost an insurmountable margin beautifully. Plenty of out of bounds, plenty of contested ball. They really work the numbers game, I thought, to advantage, making it almost impossible for Brisbane to get any flow on football happening. That's not to say that Brisbane, who got, look, they lost the game in the first half. And once they got a handle on the game, they became more competitive. I've been lucky, Neil, this is not the first time he's had really slow starts to games, is it? Mm. Where he's barely been able to touch the ball. So I guess that's something they might have to look at. Likewise, Danaher early just, you know, could not. Um, I think there was a point late in the second quarter where he hadn't had a possession yet. So, he needs to get more connected to the game. Good to see Darcy Gardner back for Brisbane. Isn't he an underrated operator? And they certainly welcomed him back, shoring up the back line. But all in all, once again, a heavy midfield, an understanding of the conditions, 
and really making sure that three goals was a lot further than it seemed on the scoreboard was a very professional way for the doggies. And again, a different way for the doggies to claim four points. Yeah, it was. Uh, look, I think the important numbers here, inside 50, 61 to 44. So any game you muster more than 60 inside 50s, you should be, I reckon, eight, nine times out of 10 winning that game. Um, and the other interesting one, given that they had the, pardon the pun, lion's share of possession, was the uh, tackle count, which ended up being 81.50 the doggies' way. So you're right, they, they sort of showed that more defensive face of themselves and it was pretty damn effective. You know, the usual ball winners bobbed up for them. Jack McRae with 32. Pretty impressed with Adam Trelaw, 29 touches for him and, uh, you know, a tougher brand of footy than we usually expect out of him. Josh Dunkley, as you'd expect on a day like this, in and under a fair bit, 27 touches for him. And look, the Lions had their goers as well. It's a fair observation about Lockie Neal, not quite at his best at the moment. Thought Daniel Rich was pretty good for them off half back. Jared Lyons, always solid. Harris Andrews crept forward and kicked a rare goal. So, um, you know, their major players to the most part, I thought, stood up. And look, you know, they've been in Melbourne for a fair while now. It's been a interesting few weeks for them, hasn't it? Uh, they, of course, pinched that win after the siren against Collingwood. Really stiff not to win down at Geelong. And uh, they've had to go to Ballarat as well. So it's been a tough little road trip for this, them. And the, the figures will say 1-2. But in terms of playing them into some form, uh, I think pretty significant. And they will certainly be looking to capitalise on that with a good win at home against Essendon, remembering, of course, that the round one home grand appearance for them uh, brought a bit of a shock uh, belting at the hands of Sydney. So I think the Lions are a serious player again, Finey. That said, they do need to start clocking up some victories, don't they? Otherwise, it'll get away from them in terms of top four possibilities. Rowan, top four hits it down the head. I don't think that they can make the sort of impression on the finals that Richmond could outside the top four. And it becomes pretty urgent immediately so against Essendon. And don't underestimate how Essendon approached this game. Joe Danaher will be the centre of all media attention during the week in the lead up to the game. And Essendon might just be looking forward to that reunion and the opportunity to show Big Joe that the trip up north just wasn't worth the effort. I'm really looking forward to that game and give Essendon a huge chance. It's certainly an interesting subplot, isn't it? Because uh, I think uh, no love lost there between perhaps a few people at the club and the player. So that game is at 7.25pm next Saturday night up at the Gabba. The Bulldogs on Saturday afternoon, a twilight game at Marvel Stadium against Gold Coast. And that is one realistically, you would expect them to win and win reasonably well. Okay, that was the first game on the Saturday card. The second was what proved to be a very entertaining contest at Marvel Stadium at Twilight. Let's talk about that one. Well, an intriguing matchup this one. West Coast trying to back up from a really impressive win at home against Port Adelaide. St Kilda really having to make a statement after a terrible loss to Essendon in the same time slot the previous week. 
And things weren't looking good for the Saints, but boy, did they mount a spectacular comeback. And the upshot of that was a 20-point win, very impressive 20-point win to the Saints. 15 goals, 12, 102, defeating West Coast, and very accurate, 13-4, 82. The goal kickers, five goals to big Max King, super impressive up forward. Three to Butler, coming good after a couple of poor performances from him. Two to Membry, two to Billings, singles to McKenzie, Steele, and Higgins for West Coast. Four goals to Jack Petrocelli, Fanny. Jeez, quick. Thank you. Two goals to Darling, two to Allen, two to Kennedy, singles to Ryan, Cripps and Winder. Well, what a game of swings and roundabouts this one was. Um, St Kilda looking good at the start. West Coast looking completely dominant there for a while. And early in that third quarter, or about halfway through that third quarter, after Petrocelli's, I think, third or fourth goal, the Eagles led this game by 33 points. What happened from that point, Finey? I'll leave you to uh, glow about this one. Well, St Kilda finally found exactly what got them into the season 2020, what got them the win in the round one clash against GWS, and what can only be can be the only way you can win football, and that is upping the anti-pressure-wise. All of a sudden, it wasn't all of a sudden, a sort of a slow churn to start off with maybe for five minutes where St Kilda started realising that you cannot allow the drop of the ball in your forward line to be just a matter of the opposition picking it up and strolling out by hand or by foot, which had been the case now for really two and a half matches. Most of the game against Melbourne, all of the game against Essendon, and half a game against West Coast, no forward line pressure. And all of a sudden it started to change. As Butler got to the fall of the ball, Higgins got energised. Jack Loney got into the face of his opponents as he only knows how to. McKenzie went forward of the centre and started applying some pressure. You can always rely on Jack Steele, but all of a sudden things started getting very tight for the West Coast defence. And that was best exemplified by a couple of unusually sloppy disposals by Jeremy McGovern and St Kilda were getting turnover goals. And if you're not getting turnover goals, you're not winning the game because that's really how you win games of football, on turnover goals. You can't rely on goals from stoppages because stoppages are unreliable. But if you can force turnovers, yep. Yeah, I was going to say, just on that one, I thought one of the most pivotal turnover moments was that um, little chip across goal from Tom Barras. Yes. And I think it was Daniel McKenzie nailed. Can't remember who it was he nailed. But anyway, McKenzie ended up getting a goal on it. That really kick-started the run, didn't it? And, and that's the exactly the sort of pressure they took into the last quarter. So the question was, was this a quick sprint at a very good team or could St Kilda maintain the rage? And let's be honest, by the end of the game, I think West Coast were pretty happy the siren went because they had become ragged. Every player who got the ball was under immense pressure. St Kilda were winning not only through turnover, but now at stoppages. And you've got to give a big thumbs up to Brad Crouch. I mean, here's a bloke that arrived at St Kilda with a two-game suspension and his first game was being part of a parlous loss to Essendon. People were sort of scratching their heads and asking, why is he playing? Well, he showed why he was playing. Great 
clearance work, great tackle work and tackle pressure. And similarly, a big thumbs up to Brad Hill under enormous pressure during the week. He's run and run and creating open space and options in the end was rewarded and he was a pivotal part of the victory. So, you know what they say, form might be temporary, but class is permanent. And I think both of those players showed why they are considered classy footballers. I've got to say from a West Coast perspective, a couple of things out of this which worry me a bit. Now, we talked in the preview on in our midweek episode about the importance of Luke Shuey. And that was absolutely underlined for me because they just didn't have sufficient numbers as much as anything to go with St Kilda's midfield. And the other one was obviously losing Shannon Hearn early in the piece. You mentioned their defence. He, look, McGovern does too, but Hearn is such a key figure in just, you know, sort of marshalling the troops down there and keeping everyone on, on an even keel. And I thought they really panicked without his presence. So the fact that even as with as much talent as they've got, those two guys in particular are absolutely pivotal to them. And when they're not there, they are considerably less aside. And the importance of Shuey, again, underlined by the numbers here. Look at the disposal count, 404 to 325. That's a pretty big advantage to the Saints. The inside 50s in the end, 53 to 36. So certainly had a heap more opportunity. 36 isn't generating enough inside 50s. The clearances, 45 to 30, decisive. Contested possession, 152 to 129. So they've won that by nearly 25 and uh, et cetera, et cetera. So, you know, it really says to me, West Coast need all hands on deck. Don't get me wrong. I think they're a really good side and I still think there are plenty of possibilities for them this year. But if they get injuries to those key players, they're going to be a bit in a bit of a strife. Final point from you. And that is very disappointed in Jeremy McGovern and Brander, the pair of them. I saw them down Chapel Street on Friday. Now, honestly, they were in a $5 shop and both of them buying ultra-cheap sunglasses. Is that where you are, boys? Big AFL footballers on meaty contracts? You can buy better sunglasses than from the $5 shop, surely. Well, if you're Robert Walls, you'd be arguing no football should ever be seen in sunglasses because it's not a great <laughs> look. All right, who do these sides play next week? West Coast have got Collingwood on Friday night at Optus Stadium. That, of course, a rematch of that uh, uh, amazing elimination final last year when the Pies shocked the football world by pipping West Coast. That is what's on the agenda for them. And the Saints, meanwhile, have a Thursday night clash. Doesn't get any tougher. Saints up against the Tigers. And in fact, that is also a rematch of a final from last year, the semi-final won very comfortable, or fairly comfortably by Richmond in the end last year. But a really good test for your Saints, finally. Look forward to that one on Thursday evening. Okay, that was the Saturday Twilight game. Let's switch our attention to Saturday evening. Saturday evening up on the Gold Coast at Metricon Stadium saw the home team, the Suns, taking on Carlton, who, of course, had their first win on the board last week against Fremantle at home. Uh, A road trip to Metricon, never that easy, no matter what sort of state the Suns are in. But in the end, a pretty handy victory to the Blues. Not by a heap, only 11 points. The final scores, inaccurate, Carlton, 9-16-70. Uh, 
but nonetheless, too good for the Suns. 8 11 59. The goal kickers for Gold Coast 2 to Sexton, singles to Ainsworth, Burgess, Ellis, Greenwood, King, and Weller. For the Blues, 2 to Mackay, 2 to Murphy, singles to Betts, Casbolt, Cottrell, Cripps, and Kerno. It was uh, the Blues who got off to the better start, finally. They led by a kick and a bit at quarter time, by two goals and a bit at half time. Gold Coast playing a pretty good third quarter, outscoring the Blues four goals to two. And then the final quarter, no one could kick a goal, just one major registered for the entire final term. That went to Harry Mackay, and that was enough to give the Blues a decisive 11-point advantage. Wasn't one of the great games of all time, you've got to say, but nonetheless, a pretty important win for Carlton. Yeah, spot on. It was not one of the great games. Nevertheless, Carlton were the team that made the running, and I guess there was an expectation after a real return to form from last week that Patrick Cripps might be the pee in the pod here. Not so, not the case. He, again, struggled to get the sort of numbers that we associate with Patrick Cripps. So it was a genuine team effort. Look, you know what? I love the energy of that Cottrell. He certainly enjoys being out there. Kicked an important goal, I think, in the uh, third quarter. And, I mean, really, when you have a look at both of these teams, you have a look at the undermanned Gold Coast Suns, you would have thought Carlton could have made more of the ruck advantage and the centre square advantage. We're talking about a team that doesn't have wits, and really, you have to go with Burgess in the ruck, who is very much a fill-in ruckman, the South Australian. Well, they and didn't, also, hang on, just pick you up there, because Caleb Graham probably spent longer in the ruck, I think. Yeah, uh, and, yeah but a totally inexperienced footballer. Yeah. So, so there's just a real sense that maybe Carlton were going to dominate through the middle. Of course, no Matt Rowell is their centre clearance bull, but Gold Coast chopped out there. There was a, probably a, another bit of pivotal moment was uh, when Ballenden injured his ankle, an important key defender and marking defender, and turned on his ankle, and that impacted heavily on him. So, yes, a win for Carlton, one that they should have put away at the start of the last quarter. How many points did they kick on end there? Just they kept on kicking behind after behind when the game simply called for a goal to put the question possibly beyond doubt and they'll need to be a lot more clinical if they're to get wins that are bigger scalps than the Gold Coast Suns. Well the numbers will, uh, Nathan Buckley will have a, a look at the numbers in the ruck out of this game and say well there, there's more support for my argument that the hitouts don't necessarily mean much because the Blues won the hitout 63-21 yep. but it was Gold Coast that won the clearance count 46-39. So there you go. It's a good observation. Carlton probably didn't get nearly enough of an advantage as they should have out of the dominance of Mark Pittenett in the ruck. Um, I thought it was, you know, it's an important win for Carlton, but it's important the way they won it too because they've copped a bit of flack about being downhill skiers and, you know, they look good on the front foot and streaming through the middle of the ground, but uh, they're not so good when the heat comes on. And the heat wasn't necessarily, well, it was delivered in part by Gold Coast, but as much because of their conditions, you know, really difficult, dewy, damp, greasy conditions. And I thought 
Carlton, under those circumstances, toughed it out pretty well. And the players who you think revel most in those conditions were really good for them. Number least, Ed Kernow, 32 touches for him. He was terrific. Sam Doherty, really impressive. Back to uh, somewhere near his best with 28 disposals. Sam Walsh, very consistent these days, 24 touches for him. Sam Petrovsky seaton He uh, played well. He yeah. Yeah, well, he, again, he's the sort of player Carlton need to have playing well on a far more consistent basis than he does. But uh, he ended up with 23 disposals. Look, the Suns, yeah, they'll be disappointed to be where they are. We know they've had no luck. They're, they're going to battle without Matt Rowell for a long period and Jared Witts the whole year. That ruck is, uh, it's hard to see them not being consistently belted in that area and that will present problems for them. However, some shining lights for them. Jack Bowes has really come of age as a player for them in the last season and a half. He ended up with 34 disposals on the night. Noah Anderson rapidly developing a reputation as being one of their most consistent 30 for him. Took Miller, 28. Hugh Greenwood, 27. Uh, Brandon Ellis, 26. Missed a, a critical shot at goal, Ellis, which could have brought it back to a goal and still given him a chance of winning. So that was costly. But he was nonetheless a pretty effective player for them. So they soldier on the Suns, um, as it seems always, up against it in terms of injuries to key personnel. But they've just got to hang in there and ride it out until at least Matt Rowe comes back. Obviously, Jared Witts won't be, and that is a problem they need to solve sooner than later. What's on the agenda for both these sides next week? Well, the Suns, as we've already pointed out, take on the Bulldogs at Marvel Stadium in a Saturday twilight clash. And a massive test for the Blues, finally. Saturday evening, the big Saturday evening stage at the MCG up against none other than Port Adelaide. So we might get a better indicator of just how capable the Carlton Football Club can be in 2021. Looking forward to that one. All right, that was... Well, just on that, Rowan. Yeah. Some late concerns. Adam Saad limping for much of the game and that really impacted on his effectiveness, Lockie Plowman getting a knock to the knee towards the end of the game. And I must say, a bit disappointed so far in the season of Isaac Rankin. Uh, what do you make of a young player, precocious ability, but maybe not delivering? And on top of everything else, gave away a really stupid 50-metre penalty during the game. I just think he's not quite got the football IQ to match his natural ability. Uh, yeah, potentially. Uh, mercurial was the word that comes to mind, and that is in the true sense of the word. Uh, they'd certainly trade in some of the flashiness for a bit more consistency. I think it's what they need more of at the moment. All right, that was the first of the Saturday night games. The second one was at the MCG, and a uh, bit of a turn up this one. Well, Hats off to GWS. Uh, they have been under a heap of criticism and most of it deserved. But this was a real statement game by them. And in the end, a pretty convincing 30-point victory over Collingwood. 14 goals, 6 the Giants, 90, defeating a very disappointing Collingwood, 9-6-60. The goal kickers. That man, he turned in a fantastic game. He was the acting skipper, and boy, did he deliver on the leadership front. Toby Green with five goals. Four goals to Jeremy Finlayson. He had a terrific game as well. Two to Josh Kelly, singles to Hill 
Himmelberg and Riccardi. For the Magpies, two to Dugowie, two to Hoskin Elliott, singles to Dacos, Magin, McCreary, Majacek and Thomas. But they will be pretty down in the dump surprise. This is a pretty flat, lifeless performance from them. Uh, even though they were still very much a winning chance early in that last quarter when they dominated play, a little bit reminiscent of the 2019 preliminary final, the early parts of that last quarter. But again, to the Giants' credit, they didn't just steady. They ended up absolutely dominant in this game, slamming on the last, I think, four goals of the match to win decisively. Pretty impressive um, statement of intent from the Giants, finally, didn't you think? Yeah, a big statement of basically last chance saloon. Zero and four. The season's gone. This has been a terrible weekend for Collingwood. Taylor Adams goes off. Um, they think he'll be out for the best part of a month. Sidebottom, they say, has re-injured that old man calf of his. He could be on the sidelines. And Dugowie, who missed quite a bit of football last year with a finger injury, has again got an injured finger. So how expensive the loss. You did mention that at the start of the last quarter, Collingwood was still very much in the game. And the game may be put beyond doubt with a pretty controversial decision and intentional behind against Sidebottom, who sort of ran onto a greasy ball 25 metres out, didn't bend over. He did kick it and it did go through the points. But was that an intentional rush behind? What do you reckon, Ron? Uh, well, yeah, look, uh, to the letter of the law, it probably was. I mean, obviously, well outside that, um, you know, uh, nine-metre range of the goal square. But yeah, off the ground with the boot, I don't know. Yeah, I, I, I was marginally surprised it was paid. It was brave by the umpire. Anyway, go on. Well, that proved to be a pivotal part of the evening. I thought the best man on the ground. Look, Toby Green's fantastic, and I'm being cruel not giving it to the standing captain, but wasn't Finlayson fantastic? I mean, he has at some point fallen out of favour of GWS, but they certainly needed him. He's a very accurate kicker goal, but what he also provided, which was terribly important, was a little bit of ruck coverage for Shane Mumford because there was no way Mumford was able to go aerobically with Grundy around the ground. So it was essential that Finlayson could give him a chop out. And I've got to say that when Finlayson went in the ruck, there was no domination by Grundy. In other words, he held down the fort pretty bloody well. So I thought he was best player on the ground. As far as Collingwood's concerned, too little up forward. Mason Cox remains Mason Cox. He's never going to be anything other than what frustrates and what delights. What's del what delights is when he reaches over a pack, takes a mark, or uses his height to advantage. May I say, he did something very clever that, enabled McCreary to get his first goal in league football and that was keep a ball in play that looked destined to go through for a point but just as it's a delight to have Mason Cox too tall too good on a greasy night like last night at the MCG too many balls sliding through the hands my yeah. check a bits and pieces but that forward line just does not give anywhere near the return of a top eight forward line does it no, and I think they've got some real structural issues too. Again, you know, without turning this into ruck corner, but, you know, they've won the hitouts pretty decisively. In fact, they've won them 44 to 18. Again, lost the clearances to the Giants. 
but another area, Collingwood has always been a, a pretty high disposal team. They've certainly been able to get their hands on the footy enough. They lost the disposal count to the Giants by more than 50. So they're not winning as much of the football as usual. And history would show in the last few years, they've needed more of the football to be a threat to those absolute upper echelon of teams. So that would worry Nathan Buckley as well. They lost a contested ball count. They lost on the outside too. The Giants won the uncontested ball count very handsomely. And you nailed it up forward. I mean, Green and Finlayson was a terrific combination for the Giants, wasn't it? I mean, they combined for nine goals. And Collingwood never looked likely to conjure anything like that from their either key forwards or medium-sized forwards. So a bit of strife for the Pies. Do you see them getting out of it? Well, no, they're in a world of hurt. I mean, you can't imagine them heading over to Perth, is it, next weekend without... Yep. I mean, that's, Adams is definitely not playing and Sidebottom and Dugowie are doubtful. And I'll tell you this, that Collingwood in the first three weeks of the season or heading into this game had the least injuries of any team in the competition. Their depth is pretty thin. And I, just have a look at the form of some of their boys that have gone. I thought Stevenson was very good today till he ran out of a bit of puff. Certainly, you know, Trelaw has been fantastic. And Phillips has been playing consistent football. So the sins of the past are coming back to haunt them, the immediate past. And just on GWS very quickly, we've got to learn that they've got some good new names coming through, don't they? And not the least of which, Lockie Ash, who I thought was fantastic last night. He was very impressive. Uh, as you say, Collingwood, uh, well, where will we see one of those famous Collingwood backs to the wall road trip wins? They'll need it up against the Eagles on the Friday evening. And the Giants got that local derby against the undefeated informed Swans on Saturday twilight. So a great test for them too. All right, three games to go to be played on the Sunday of round four. Let's turn our attention to them. 110 at Marvel Stadium was the date and the combatants were North Melbourne. Uh, struggling through this season so far, up against Adelaide, who know that feeling. They struggled through the most of 2020 before a late revival, which seems to have just flowed into the new season, playing some really good footy, the Crows, and a really good win to them in the end in this one as well, after being pretty much neck and neck with North for most of the afternoon. 41 points in the end, the Crows, courtesy of an eight-goal to one last quarter, 16-13, 109, sorry, defeating North Melbourne, 10 goals, 8-68. The goal kickers for the Crows, three to Walker, three to Fogarty, three to McAdam, two to Schoenberg, singles to Murphy, O'Brien, Seedsman, Rowe and Scholl. For North, three goals to Nick Larkey, better game from him today, two to Stevenson, two to Thomas, two to Goldstein, and a single to Phillips. Well, I want to be measured in criticism of North Finey because really disappointing last quarter. Let's make no bones about that. But importantly, down a couple of players for the duration of the game. Of course, in the space of seven seconds early in the piece, North lost first Luke McDonald with a serious pectoral injury. We'd expect him potentially to be out for months with that. That's a pretty serious one. And seven seconds later, Cameron Zerha got knocked out to take no further part in the game. 
So that really reduced their ability to um, rotate their players on and off the bench as much as they'd like. You can't blame it all on that. But look, I think their endeavour and I think some of their football was pretty encouraging by the ruse. And they were up and about. And for most of this game, looked a real chance to win. Uh, that's my takeaway. Well played Adelaide, though. They are really finding some confidence and some of those younger players really starting to play footy on a consistent basis. What did you see as the major takeaways from this one? Yeah, the two early injuries were costly. Zerhar injured himself. He initiated that bump with the best player on the ground. I think that was with Lockie Scholl, wasn't it? I don't remember, sorry. I think it was. Anyhow, I want to talk about Lockie Scholl. Gee, he's a good player. Left or right foot, courageous, you know, will of the wisp, which is unusual for the position he plays because, you know, even though he plays off that half-back line with some run, he still gets involved in one-on-one battles, but hasn't he? Isn't he impressive? You want the ball in his hands any time of the day and 31 possessions and a great goal in the last quarter. Certainly my best on the ground. A North Melbourne unfit. I think they are. I know that they were one play short, but the way they got absolutely shredded at the end of the Footscray game and the way that they were fell away, they were visibly tied in that last quarter. They, they were up at three-quarter time. This is a team that will not have many chances to win games of football. At home to Adelaide, leading three-quarter time. And they barely raised a gallop in that last quarter. They really did. They really looked as though they were out of puff. Full credit to Larky. He played a much better game. I love Ben Cunnington. God, he's good in the clinches. And Taron Thomas, a couple of nice set shots in the third quarter. And there was endeavour. There was certainly endeavour there, Rowan. But in the end, they got run over. I'll tell you this. I'll tell you an interesting story very quickly, quick aside. I know a bloke who had a bet with one of the bookmakers at the start of the year, he got odds of $23, so 22 to 1 or something, that North Melbourne would lose 11 or more games by more than 50 points. Now, he got his bet in in the first three rounds, and I guess at three-quarter time, he would have put a line through this one, but he only just missed out. The Mm -hmm. fall away is dramatic. Um, Great work, by the way, by Ben Mackay. Look, Taylor Walker kicked two goals in, in, what, two minutes at the start of the game? And he only kicked one more for the rest of the game. And young Mackay really held his own for the rest of the game. So a big thumbs up there as well. I think um, Rory Weird, we know, has been a really good player for a fair while now and an All-Australian. But his shift into midfield has been terrific. And uh, it's interesting today because North um, sicked, uh, is the phrase I would use, Kane Turner onto him. And Kane was very determined to make life as difficult as possible. And he did and won a couple of uh, off-the-ball free kicks for his trouble. But the bottom line was Rory Laird, nonetheless, ended up with 30-plus disposals and was a terrific player for his side. Um, I like Schoenberg, too. He's a a bundle of energy. And, Schoen, you're right, he is a class act, and his disposal by foot particularly really good. So, look, all the pain they went through last year, the Crows, they did manage to get pump games into a number of young players who are now starting to look more confident at the level and delivering more consistently. And that, I think, North have to look at their example today and say, look, you know, we are now where we saw Adelaide at this time 
of last season. So it can be turned around and it can be turned around quicker than you think. So I would urge North Melbourne people not to despair. You're on the right track. You're doing what you can do in terms of getting young players into the side and giving them plenty of valuable experience. And it will pay off at some stage. Nonetheless, it's not going to be a year in which your side is winning many games. What have both of these teams got next week? Adelaide has a home game against Fremantle at 1.10 on Sunday afternoon. And the Roos, it's a tough one, I'm afraid. It is a visit down to the Cattery to take on Geelong. It'll be pretty filthy after their effort today. 4.40pm, that is the last game of round five. Uh, speaking of Geelong, they were involved in the second game of Sunday. Let's talk about that one. Well, this was an intriguing matchup at the MCG, 3.20pm in pretty difficult conditions. It's been an Arctic-like day in Melbourne on Sunday afternoon. Wet, blustery, chilly, you name it. Uh, but Melbourne, very impressive victors, and they re- retain their undefeated status after, in the end, a 25-point victory over a disappointing Geelong, 12 goals, 13, 85, the Demons, defeating the Cats, 9-6-60. The goal kickers for Melbourne, four to Bailey Fritch. Boy, has that young boy got some talent. Two to Petrarca, singles to Gorn, Jones, Langdon, Neil Bullen, Pickett and Melksham. And for the Cats, two to Henry, two to Smith, two to Hawkins, singles to Clark, Myers, Stanley. Well, Fawny, Melbourne got the ascendancy here. wasn't necessarily reflected on the scoreboard early on. It was by half time because they had a very handy 23-point lead up by the long break. Geelong threatened in that third term with a run of uh, four of five goals. Hawkins, Henry and Isaac Smith bobbing up with a couple in quick succession. And you thought, oh, maybe the Cats can turn it around and pull it out of the fire. But Melbourne really dominant in that last quarter when the game was there to be won. Uh, Interesting free kick paid for a sling tackle against Tom Atkins. And then a deliberate out-of-bounds against Sam Managola. That one was there. But uh, that gave Ed Langdon a goal, which restored Melbourne's 18-point lead. They added another one. And uh, costly Mr. Reese Stanley, which ruled out any chance of Geelong bridging the gap. Melbourne deserved victors. And definitely one of the big improvers so far in season 2021 finally. Yeah, that sling tackle. I mean, there was a very interesting one that went Menegola's way in the third quarter. I think it was against Neil Bullen, but Melbourne were off to the races. They brought it back in the umpire. You can actually hear the umpire say that was the perfect tackle right until the very end. I just wonder what a player can do mid-tackle and to improve the very end of it. And I ask this question, how dangerous is a tackle that a player is uninjured from? I think there needs to be a little bit of redress in that. Uh, sure, we don't want players' arms pinged and their heads mercilessly thrown into the ground, but I think you're allowed to finish the perfect tackle. I'm interested to get your take on that, right? Uh, I think they've gone over the top with them. I, I thought yep. the one I thought the one paid against Tom Atkins was terrible. He, um, you know, he he didn't sling him. You surely you're allowed to tackle forcefully, but. 
he didn't tackle without any due regard for the welfare of the player. Um, and you don't want to see players seriously injured through tackles like that, but a lot of the times that free kick is paid now when there's no danger of a player being seriously injured. Actually, speaking of seriously injured, we do need to talk about Stephen May because, uh, look, total accident. Tom Hawkins got him in the eye with his elbow. I hope there's no repercussions out of that for Tom Hawkins because it was absolutely an accident. He went over and checked on May's welfare, but, geez, it was nasty. It looked very much like a fractured eye socket and May taken to hospital as a result. And if that is the case, he could be out for a fair few weeks. So... Um, all the best to Stephen May, lovely guy and uh, a very important part of Melbourne's setup. Look, they were, they were really impressive, I reckon. Um, you know, they do have that reputation of being a bit fair weather in terms of only locking down when things are on their terms. I thought a couple of times Geelong threatened in this game and Melbourne were able to, you know, through sheer weight of effort, um, wrest back the initiative. I thought Petrarca was outstanding for them. Uh, Jack Viney, really impressive. Clayton Oliver. You know, it was a day for those midfield bulls that win plenty of the ball and their performances were crucial for them. Likewise, and again, not to get um, obsessed with ruck duels, but I thought Max Gorn was a real key player for them too. Not for the first time, Geelong's lack of a genuine quality ruckman perhaps coming back to bite them on the bum. The ruck duels were won very decisively by Max Gorn. Uh, the hitouts in the end over the day were, I'm still finding them actually, but they certainly won their share of inside 50, 62 to 50, the inside 50 count. The hitouts were 54, 24, and Melbourne did convert Gorn's ruck dominance into a pretty healthy win in terms of the clearances as well. They won the contested ball pretty handsomely. Uh, didn't win on the outside, uh, but they probably showed Geelong uh, a clean pair of heels in terms of that attack on the footy and thoroughly deserved their win. Where do we think the Cats are at? Because whilst the scoreline for them is 2-2, it could very easily be zip and four, couldn't it? Of course, two squeak of a wins over uh, Brisbane down at the Cattery and uh, then uh, a narrow win over the Hawks last week. So 2-2 and not playing anywhere near their best. Where do you see the Cats? Yeah, that, uh, I find that they're desperately in need of some outside run. Their ball, their concept of ball movement being by foot, I think runs contrary to what is successful in 2021, which is, we know, taking advantage of the new man on the mark rule and really getting the ball moving and in motion. They're still pretty content kicking the ball sideways. And they were playing catch-up football all game, really kept into the game, kept into the game by their own accuracy and Melbourne's inaccuracy for much of the game. Gorn covered a huge amount of ground. For a guy that got so many hit-outs, he was also going for a lot of marks deep in the forward line. He really put the aerobic test onto Stanley and pretty much won that contest. Around stoppages, you felt Melbourne had most of the answers with Petrarca, with Clayton, with... Brayshaw actually played back of centre, so they also got really good service out of a couple of their younger blokes. And I was most impressed by Ed Langdon, not saying that he's younger, but, gee, his run is fantastic. Yeah, they were pretty good, Jaden Hunt good. And I want to make a comment on one player. And I think 
Now, the expression I'm going to use is against the curve. So, yes, you expect a, a second-year player or a third-year player to improve markedly because the curve suggests that after 25 games, 50 games, a player will start to really improve at AFL level. But I'm talking against the curve. I'm talking about a player who's played over 100 games of football. And is there a more improved player than Christian Salem? Because he, to me, has become a wonderfully reliable Beautiful overhead mark, great use of the body and wonderful distributing halfback flanker. And I know it's only four games in, but keep a close eye on Christian Salem for an All-Australian spot. Yeah, good call. He's been a bit of a slow burner, but uh, yeah, absolutely uh, beautiful, as you say, distributor of the ball for them off halfback. Next week, the Demons take on the Hawks at the MCG Sunday afternoon, 3.20. Geelong, as we told you before, get a game at the Cattery GM HBA Stadium up against North Melbourne. That is the final game of round five. The final game of round four, we will talk about now. The final game of round four was played at Optus Stadium in Perth. It was between Fremantle and Hawthorne. And the wash-up was a 15-point win to the Dockers, the inaccurate Dockers, for the first time, 13 goals, 18, 96, defeating Hawthorne, 12, 9, 81. The goal kickers, three goals to Sean Darcy. You don't see him leading goal kicker too often. Two to Collier, two to Tabernard, singles to Akers, Chapman, Frederick, Mundy, Sturt and Walters. For the Hawks, three to Dylan Moore, singles to Lewis, Mitchell, Phillips, Wingard, Brockman, Hartley, Howe, O'Brien and Morrison. There's a serious spread of goal kicking when you've only kicked 12. This was a game finding. It looked early on like it was going to be an absolute cakewalk for the Dockers. In fact, at quarter time, five goals, six to just two behind. So they led by five goals plus, but it could have been something like eight, nine goals. And uh, they paid a price for that because in the second term, it was the Hawks charging back with five goals of their own to just one, one five the Dockers kicked in that second term. However, the Dockers soon reasserted their dominance, four goals to three in the third term and three to four. In fact, Hawthorne winning the last quarter, but the Dockers always able to keep them at arm's length. I don't know, Fanny, I know you're pretty uh, big on the Dockers being uh, the proverbial flat track bullies. They do seem to play with so much more freedom and confidence in front of their home crowd. And that was definitely the case today. A far more fluent and fluid display by them than was on show in that error-riddled performance against Carlton last week. All right, let's just talk about them in isolation because I feel they play a bit in isolation. On today's performance, some observations... When Longmuir arrived at the club, he took immediate shine to this young man, Fredericks, and you're beginning to see why his athleticism and speed has become a real asset in a forward line that is desperate for some flash. Obviously, Michael Walters' late start to the season impacting on him and Tabner really going alone generally as the key forward. Very handy player this Fredericks is going to be because he, as I say, almost has Petricelli-like speed. And we've seen over the weekend, haven't we, with Nick Hine, with Petricelli, with Fredericks, that when you're faster than the rest of the guys on the paddock, you've got a real asset. Keep an eye on him. At the other end of the scale, 
This guy's not getting any quicker, but he's not getting any worse. They might have won on Sunday, but they can often thank David Mundy. I mean, how good is he going for a bloke who now gets a season-by-season contract and by most estimations as a midfielder is past his use-by date? Fantastic. Fife, well, often the difference between them winning and losing is Fife playing. Now, I want to talk a little bit about their psyche. And it's not that they should be embarrassed about winning at home, but it's the lack of spotlight that they come under for subpar performances away from home. I mean, it's not just about losing Rowan. It's about the sort of effort they put in away from home. Go back to round one against Melbourne. That was a hateful performance. I'm sorry. You could not find anything, anything, you could not give them any credit for the effort they put in that afternoon. Yet in front of a home crowd on a sunnier day in warmer conditions, they seem far more ready to play the type of football that wins AFL games. If I was a supporter of the Fremantle Dockers, I'd take the four points and then I'd turn around straight away and say, if you don't even do that next time you're away from home, which is next week, then don't bother me turning up the week after. But the problem is, no matter what they do next week, it'll be a near sellout of mad Fremantle fans the week after. Well, it's a good test for them next week. They play Adelaide in Adelaide, so uh, we'll see. If Eminently winnable. Yeah, well, it's a game they should be winning on talent. So let's see if they've got the sufficient spine to knuckle down and get the job done. We should talk quickly about the Hawks. Uh, Tom Mitchell back to his prolific best, 37 disposals. Jarman Impey with 28 for them. Jager O'Meara with 28. Chad Wingard, uh, pretty one of his better games in brown and gold, I feel. 26 disposals for him. And for mine, easily the biggest plus out of this season so far for Hawthorne. And Ch- Chenkath, Gieth, is it? I, I know we call him CJ. I really want to get my head around how to say his name properly. And I will promise I do my homework on that. But he was really impressive again, 24 disposals from him and a heap of dash and dare and preparedness to take the game on. Look, this wasn't a bad performance by the Hawks. Three goals to Dylan Moore too. He's starting to bob up more and more and get some handy scores on the board uh, when he ventures forward. How do you see the Hawks? No one really expected anything of them this year. Are they about where you thought they'd be in terms of their output and their win-loss ratio? Yeah, and you know what? For a team that has enjoyed recent premiership success, as Hawthorne has, and it is pretty recent, certainly under the same coach, with a number of the same players, it would be so easy to find losing regularly and facing the genuine prospect of not playing finals as a bridge too far. And a lot of the players that played in those finals, I wouldn't say could be excused, but you do see past historical precedents for those sort of players really falling away towards the end of their careers. And I'll give Hawthorne full marks for being ultra competitive and having their head right in the game in this season. None more so than their big skipper, Ben McAvoy, who even two or three years ago was looking to put the cue in the rack and now shoulders huge responsibility and a bustle, you know, a busload of bustling and a truckload of hammering and really has an appetite for it. So they might not win many games this year or certainly not enough to make the finals, but their attitude has been commendable for four games thus far. 
Yeah, I agree. And look, people say that when sides have a goal nearer, they hang on too long. I think the Hawks did pretty much what they could to regenerate at the same time as staying competitive because they were still a top four team, what, three years after they won their last premiership. And don't forget, they did wind up the careers of people like Sam Mitchell, Luke Hodge and Jordan Lewis. A lot of people said prematurely. So uh, it just goes to show that, you know, the system gets you in the end and Hawthorne had been such a good side for so long. It was going to catch up with them at some point. I think given those circumstances, they're remaining reasonably competitive and doing pretty much the right thing. And they have a wonderful coach, of course, in Alistair Clarkson. What's on the menu for these sides next week? Well, the Hawks up against Melbourne. Interesting clash this one because uh, I think some people look at that and say Hawthorne might give themselves a sneaky chance of being able to win that one. Fremantle, as we said, they're on another road trip. This one to Adelaide. Let's see if they can produce something a bit more meaningful than they have in their first two road trips, both to Melbourne, both of which were definitely abject failures. That is round four, summed up to within an inch of its life, which leaves just one segment left in this version of the podcast. And that segment would be, Finey, The Rant. The Rant. On Footyology, The Rant of. Okay, Finey. We're four rounds in. I've got a few observations on what we've seen of season 2021 thus far. They're pithy and they're pissed off. I'd like you to count me in, please. One, two, rant away. I'm pissed off with this season, Finey. It's too bloody unpredictable. It makes tipping too difficult. But the worst bit, if you're part of the media, it makes it too hard to resort to some favourite old narratives that have served as well for decades. We're four rounds in now. That's usually more than long enough for at least a couple of clubs to have been deemed in crisis, several coaches to supposedly be about to get the chop, a hot premiership favourite declared, and Team X, allegedly the worst team the AFL has seen since Fitzroy in the mid-90s. We thought we had that one covered at least this year after North Melbourne got hammered by 128 points against the Western Bulldogs on Good Friday. But look what happened today. The Roos were leading Adelaide at three-quarter time and looked every chance to win. The Crows then slammed on eight goals in the last term like a good side should. But hang on, good side? Wasn't it actually Adelaide, who most of last year everyone was saying was the worst side football had seen since Fitzroy in the mid-90s? Yep, that's the same team now in fifth spot on the ladder at 3-1. So what about the boom side of this season so far, Sydney? Who tipped the Swans as a potential boulder in 2021? Oh, well, I did actually, but nobody else. But even the obvious narrative about the Swans came unstuck on Thursday night against Essendon. They'd kicked 54 goals in just three games. So we'd read catalogues already about the ugly ducklings complete metamorphosis into the Harlem Globetrotters of the AFL. It was more like the Washington Generals against the Bombers the obvious difference that this team actually still won the game, just. But where was the free scoring? This was a game won with just 11 goals, more reminiscent of the slogging swans of a few years ago. So what about scoring? We all agreed the new man on the mark rule had opened the game up, shaken the cobwebs out of the scoreboards, and it was back to the old days. That kicked off another false narrative. There began a fresh round of media hand-wringing about the game now being too much like keepings off, how scoring was too easy, 
and that spearheads were going to put Bob Pratt and Peter Hudson's 150 goals in a season in danger. But this round, there was no Josh Bruce bag of 10, no Harry Mackay 7-5. Just two players managed even five goals. And one of them, Toby Green, is about as far from a key forward type as you can possibly get. Just two sides, St Kilda and Adelaide, managed to top the ton, and both of them only did so in the final moments of their wins. The fact is, what we're seeing so far in 2021 isn't one extreme or another. It's simply a much better balance of the defensive ethos, which has underpinned so much football in the 21st century, with a more attacking and welcome mindset. We're seeing a much wider range of game scenarios. We're seeing a much wider range of individual goal kickers. Obviously, you'd hope that would also mean a wider range of stories about the game via the fourth estate. But come on, Fanny, that would be naive. This is the modern-day media we're talking about. So we're still going to get those tired old narratives and we're going to get even more ill-fitting so-called examples of them shoehorned in to make a very awkward fit. Don't be surprised if you see something this week about Damien Hardwick being under the pump. After all, the Tigers have now lost two in a row. Don't be shocked if someone cranks something out about North Melbourne being relegated to the VFL. Because while the game has changed, the stereotypes of modern football media haven't. And you know the old saying, Fanny, never let the truth get in the way of a good story. Or these days, mostly, a bad one. <laughs> when you say there'll be a story written about North Melbourne being relegated to the VFL... Yes. Will she also be writing? Because <laughs> we know who that would most likely be written by. Ah, oh, yes. Well, uh, a Tasmanian VFL side. Uh, yes. All right. I'm ready to count you in. Are you ready to rant? I am. All right. Three, two, one. Rant. I might blame you for my mindset, Rowan. I've got to admit my grumpy old man meter is pretty high having spent the best part of the last three or four years, week in, week out, ranting with you. I mean, your rants do all start off with, I'm pissed off, Finey. So generally, that's the position that I take when I look at life. I'm pissed off, but I shouldn't be. And I'm going to say about, and I'm going to talk about something now that I should be, and we should all be extremely delighted with. Let me start this by saying, that I do have Fox coverage. And that means that I get access to Fox Sports and all of the jewels that lie there within. And I'm fortunate to do so. I understand that not all people can afford it. So I do bring this rant to you from a position of somewhat luxury, somewhat of, of being in a, a, a fortunate position. Boy, do we live in golden times for coverage of sport. I just thought about it this weekend. Of course, always at our fingertips, almost expected nine live games of football. Yes, we do complain about the commentary teams and about certain commentators that get on our goat, but we can always turn the volume down. There they are, nine live games of football. Far different from when I was growing up, the old league replay on Channel 7. And three of the games, four of them even, of the six on Saturday afternoon, only got the slow-motion forward pocket replay action for 30 seconds on World of Sport the next day. If you like cricket like I do, the IPL's back on and you can watch it live. The time slot might not be comfortable, but the coverage of every single match in the IPL live certainly is. Don't like that? Don't like football. 
Maybe you like the Marsh Cup. That's right. Today, live on TV, New South Wales defeating WA. Not many would have watched it, but you could have if you wanted to. Golf your fancy. There's a Masters channel just there for you, for lovers of the great tournament of the US Masters from Augusta. Will Japan have their first male winner? We can find out live early hours of tomorrow morning. Or maybe Mark Leishman become the second Aussie to win that valued title. I mean, every sport's on TV. Yes, I do have to use my phone and Optus to watch the Premier League, but I do so. There's plenty of world game on Fox and on free-to-air. Basketball for lovers of that boring sport. Even darts. Now, I love darts, and the only darts you could watch on TV when I was growing up was an ad for Ardith or Paul Hogan trying to sell you a pack of Winfield Blues. But now you get the darts Premier League live on TV. I know that we've got our great stats insiders to help us with world sport. 10,000 simulations of 15 or more sports. And you can make it all come to life by watching every one of those sports, curling and boxing included, live on TV. So I know we whinge about a lot, but when it comes to watching your favourite sport on TV, these truly are golden times. Very, very positive, Finey. And you know what? You've inspired me. And to that end, I'm going to read out a tweet I wrote last night. I was sitting there watching Saturday footy. I then watched Saturday Stretch, which is Fox Footy's wrap-up of the Saturday action. And I've got to say, and I have said it before, that is easily my favourite program on Fox Footy. And it is solely to do with the talent on that panel. Brad Johnson, Jordan Lewis, and... Most importantly, the host, Kath Lochnan. And I, this is what I tweeted, Finey. Fox Footy has a real star in Kath Lochnan. Great host. She really knows her stuff. And most importantly, just a natural, friendly manner. No cliches or affectations. A good mix with Jono and Jordan too. Saturday Stretch, easily my favourite show on the channel. That seems to have struck a chord because that tweet has now been liked nearly 700 times. Um, it is a great show. It's just straight footy analysis. It's laid back. There's no sort of posturing. There's no alpha male sort of stuff that you get on the Thursday nights and Friday nights. I love it. And Kath Lochnan, she is a superstar, Finey. I know I've sung her praises before, but she is A grade and a terrific find by Fox Footy. So well played by them for giving her more airtime. Do you concur? Really good program. I've got no problems whatsoever with a station like Fox Footy presenting programs and trying things. I think that we are stuck with a few programs that seem to be almost written in at the start of the season. Look, I'd like to see more variety and I'd like also to see more faces. I'll say this, you know, I actually know Lee Montagna and I'm so pleased for him getting a gig calling football, but isn't this just another example of another door closed in the face of a young commentator somewhere missing out on the chance of being a part of an AFL call team? Because as we've observed, more and more so the case, if you haven't played a couple of hundred games of league football, AFL media might not be for you. And I think that is to the detriment of the sport, and you only need to look at the US coverage of the NFL, MLB, or even the NBA to see that there are plenty of people that have never pulled on a boot or a, or a, a, um, 
what do NBA players wear? Cleats for baseballers, boots for footballers, and I guess runners or I don't know, Air Jordans for the rest. All right. Now I do I do agree with you. Perhaps we can discuss that on our midweek show. Uh, that is it for the Sunday show. Quick plug to our wonderful sponsors, please. Sunday night for many people is burger night. A chance to give mum a bit of a break or whoever's charged with the responsibility of cooking in the household. So next time you listen to us on a podcast on a Sunday night, why not do it after you've had a beautiful Andrews hamburgers at 144 Bridport Street, Albert Park. And don't forget that there is something to aspire to, and that is to live in a luxury house. So I'm sure some of you already do. For those of us who don't, why not consider West Point Properties and Nick Spartels when we look to renovate or even start from scratch? And a quick shout-out, too, to our official partner, Stats Insider, the best sports data analyst in the caper. Check out their work at statsinsider.com.au. That's it for our Sunday episode. Hope your team had a good win. Always next week if they didn't. Always next year if they're um, one of the lower sides on the ladder, but uh, still plenty of rounds to pick it up in 2021. We'll see you on Wednesday.